0: Welcome to the Demand Gen Made Simple podcast. I'm your host, Janelle Amos. And if you're a Demand Gen marketer, you're in the right place. In this podcast, we talk about, you guessed it, how to build and deploy scalable Demand Gen frameworks in a simplified way. You'll learn from me and my experience from being a three-time in-house director of Demand Gen to now founder of Elevate Growth, a B2B SaaS Demand Gen consulting firm, where I've helped over 14 companies deploy a Demand Gen framework from scratch. You'll also hear from a list of guests and experts on the show as well. You can check out elevate-growth.com for more information about me, but for the reason why you're here today, let's dive in. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for joining for this week's podcast episode. Today, I'm so excited to have Andres Glusman with us. He is the CEO and co-founder of Do What Works. Andres, thanks so much for being with me today.
1: It is my pleasure.
0: Amazing. The objective for today's conversation is all about experimenting and testing, all the way from message on your website to copy on ads and anything that marketers would love to touch. So before we dive in to get super like nitty gritty into all of those things, do you want to do a quick introduction about your background, how you ended up in do what works, and you know just your overall aspirations?
1: Yeah. So I am a behavioral scientist, but I've been running experiments online since the late 1990s. Uh, I was involved in uh, the Disney Store ad campaign back in 1998 uh, and started running experiments there as we were kind of running some of the first ads online at the time and got to get see some early peaks into that and just fell in love with experimentation. I then went on to help launch meetup.com a few years later, made their first $14 of revenue, eventually took on different roles in the company like product and growth, and we were early pioneers in lean startup movement. And that means that I got to run a lot of experiments early on and, again, see some of the joys and pains that motivated me today to start my latest company, which is Do What Works, which is all about helping growth leaders do what works. And basically, the shorthand is is leverage everyone else's experiments and what works and doesn't work for other people in order to get more results for themselves uh, without having to recreate every one of those experiments themselves.
0: Yeah, and to really have you know a point of reference of when you're actually doing an experiment, a lot of marketers that I know struggle with. Okay, we're going to do this A/B test, or we're going to test the messaging in the market, but we right. don't know what success looks like, right? And so being able to have that point of reference, I thought was really exciting with your your um, company and your product.
1: That's right. Well, and, and the biggest challenge, and this is a pain that I personally felt, is that it's never been easier to launch an experiment, right? But it's really hard to launch things that work. And the challenge there is is that you are basically recreating every other experiment that everyone else has run. No one gets to learn from anyone else. Your ad copy, you get smarter about what works on your own ad copy, but it actually doesn't. Nobody else learns from your heads. You get smarter about your, your web optimizations and your CRO, but you're the only one that gets trapped in a PowerPoint presentation inside your company. And as a result, it means that everyone is running the exact same test over and over and over and over again. And what we have built is an engine to give you a peek into what everyone else is running so that you can sort of start as though you had run those tests in order to make better decisions. So that's that's really what we're all about and sort of the problem that we're solving for, for the world of experimentation.
0: Yeah, I love that, and especially in the world of B2B marketers. <laughs> we're all trying to figure out what works.
1: <laughs> well, it's crazy because like we live in a time when consumers, when business, when buyers have consumer-like expectations but you got business level traffic. And so, yeah, if you're Spotify, you can run a lot of tests on your pricing page and you're going to get the results pretty fast. But if you're not Spotify, if you're a company that's targeting, you know, business leaders, if you're trying to drive leads or get people into a demo or trying to get people to book a free trial, man, the amount of traffic you have to your pricing page is much, much smaller. And the cost of getting somebody to that page is really, really high. And so, of course, you want to maximize the impact and you only get On average, this is actually really interesting. On average, it takes about three to four weeks for the companies that we're looking at in our system, our engines detected from these big, big companies, takes them about three to four weeks to run an experiment, which means that it takes about three to four weeks to have enough traffic to a page in order to get statistical significance. Mm -hmm. This uh, means that if you're only able to run one at a time, if you're not able to run them in parallel, that for like a really, really important page, like your pricing page, you only get 12 shots a year, which is like crazy small (laughs) as a number. To get 12 shots a year is really, really, really small. Um, And the bad news on Bad News is that 80% of the experiments that people run on major platforms like Optimizely, according to Optimizely, this is publicly stated from Optimizely, 80% of experiments do not move the needle. Mm And so if you have 12 shots a year on a page and 80% of them are not going to win, you're really playing for like two to three wins a year, Yeah, which is so painful. Yeah, go ahead.
0: No, I was just going to say, I know we're going to get into a little more in this conversation of like, when should we test? When is a a right time to test? When should we not test? What should we come Mm -hmm. into consideration with all those things? But let's start at the tippy top, right? what is experimenting and what are ways that marketers can and cannot use it correctly?
1: Yeah, I love that question. So experimentation in the broadest sense of the word is around approaching a problem with a mindset to learn, designing the approach in a way that systematically varies the experience for one set of people versus another, and then gathering data on the performance of both in order to draw an insight around not just what outcome we saw, did green beat red, did a photo of a human beat a photo of a product, uh, but instead to also be able to draw the insights in a way that's more applicable to larger meaningful challenges, right? And the best kind of experiment gives you a metric win and gives you a generalizable insight that you can use elsewhere to really be smarter about the next bet you take or about bringing that knowledge to the next challenge. So at the tippity top, as, as you put it, which I love, the, um, you know, the top top of the funnel, there's a lot of traffic and there's ads you're running on Facebook, you're running ads on Google, you're running ads wherever. Um, and man, those engines typically have made it easy for you to systematically vary your copy. And as a result of varying your copy, you can start to understand, well, what's the approach that resonates with people. What are people clicking on the most? What are people ultimately converting on the most? And um, by d- varying the copy you're using, as an example, varying the images, varying the approach you're taking, if you can do that in a way that's very thoughtful, there's a generalizable lesson you can learn. And those lessons make it so that you do much, much better than the 80%, right? The 80% failure rate. Uh, because you're not starting from a place of just guessing. You're starting from a place of materially having insights that make your guesses smarter hmm. it's kind of a joke i like to say though which is like if you're not testing you're guessing yeah but even when you are testing you're guessing <laughs> you're just guessing smarter you're, you're guessing based on the data that you had before and you get to learn afterwards what worked or didn't work
0: hmm. so Experimentation, I love that, especially the conversations that a lot of marketers are in right now, like, oh, we'll just test it. Like, oh, if you and me disagree, we'll just test it and see what works, right? Or if we want to figure out what messaging aligns with our audience, we'll just test it. It's kind of like the default caveat that yeah. everybody like just defaults to. Question for you. Yes. When should companies or marketers run their own experiments and come to their own conclusions versus sourcing like industry ran? experiments and using those as like best practices to guide their decisions is there right or wrong
1: yeah it's such a good good question it's so funny um and i love the way you said let's just test it let's just test it let's just test it as somebody who's gone through the whole journey of trying to get people to get excited about experiments and then having them use it and then having them not use it wrong or abuse it in some ways uh those words let's just test it three words are a a signal at times that you're onto something and you're really creating a lot of like good movement in your organization. Uh, if you're hearing it too much and you're hearing it as a way to end a debate, Mm. it's probably being abused. (laughs) So, you know, so, uh, it means that you're, you're replacing judgment with, uh, an experiment and the, Question you ask is such a thoughtful question, which is when should you use it? When is it? When are you doing it? And when are you using this tool appropriately? And when are you using this tool inappropriately? It, um, in an ideal world, because you only have a small number of experiments you get to run on any given page or any given surface, or even even on your Google Ads, you only get so many Google Ads a year, especially in the B two B context in the SaaS context. You get very very few. Um, there's limited number of people searching for for your, for your keywords at any point in time. Um, the number of opportunities you have to run an experiment is low. And so you almost want to think of them as like poker chips or and like, when do you want to push in on, on, a, on a poker chips? Well, you want to push in and basically when you have a very high likelihood of making an impact. So when the thing you're going to try is likely to make a big impact or when being wrong is very, very, very consequential. Hmm. Inside of the, the CR world, the conversion rate optimization world, there's a lot of folks who latch onto this notion of rice. Um, reach, impact, confidence, effort. Those are sort of the four things that they score most experiments on. We also like to think about uh, generalizable learnings as well. So it's not just the impact right now, but the impact in the future. But Rice is a very, very popular one. And so reach, you should run experiments one on the places where making a change would make a pretty significant difference. Um, if you are thinking about having, if you have a development team and you're going to have them work on your homepage versus your webinar sign-up page, well, actually, that's not true, Uh, your your page that's uh, got a lot less traffic or that isn't really core to the ultimate experience, well, a 10% win on a page that doesn't have a lot of traffic, that's not central to the experience, is not as meaningful as a 10% win on a place that has a lot more traffic, right? Um, you get a compounding effect from because it's larger. So reach is really, really important. Um, effort, like the places where it's not that much work to, to run the experiment yourself versus elsewhere uh, is easy to do. The last two, confidence and impact, those are the places where it's, um, that's where the guessing comes in. Um, and so people are generally guessing on those things. For running the experiment yourself, which was your your underlying question, when should you run the experiment yourself versus leverage other people's experiments? Um, the way that we think about it and what we encourage people to do is where um, they're in a high... So let's assume you're on a high reach environment and doing experiments where the effort is proportionate to the impact. If you can get a good impact, uh, then the effort is proportionate. Um, there are times what we coach our, our, our customers to do is to say, if you see an experiment being run in your industry by eight different players, and it, the outcome comes out a certain way seven out of eight times. If you see people using, uh, laying out their products using a pricing grid, uh, a table, right, as opposed to cards, I'm just making this up. And that wins right. seven out of eight times or loses seven out of eight times. Then that gives you a lot of reason to believe, like this is maybe something that we should, uh, that will likely have an impact. And if it's um, really, really, really disproportionately weighted, sometimes you don't even have to run it as an experiment. It's a little bit sacrilegious to say this, but uh, or or blasphemous, I guess, to say this is to say like you don't have to run an experiment. It's it's so likely to be a thing that's going to work that sometimes you can have confidence um, using that or moving forward with adding the thing or removing it even without testing it and to devote that cycle. To something else and where we encourage so this is something we have internally called a bet score we give things a, a, every element that we look at and we make recommendations we assign everything a score from like one to 99 where a 99 is like it is show lock on exact like similar to what you're working on it's very easy to execute it's something that's very similar to what you got going on um, and we feel very confident and we advise our clients to kind of bundle that together with other changes. Or similarly, if you see something with a score of like two out of hundred, it means it's very, very likely hurting your performance. It's the places that have a score of like 70, like 70 to 85 range where it's likely to win, but we're unsure. Hmm. That's where you kind of want to devote your experiments because that's where you're going gener- to uh, generate uh, the most learning. Um, and that's where it actually is meaningfully interesting to say, well, if we run it as an experiment, we're going to learn if it actually does the effect that we want and that will move us forward. So so you have have your very, very high confidence things because you've seen a lot of people do it well or win or lose with it. And you got your in-between phase, that's where we really encourage. And we really only encourage that on places where there's high reach or where the impact of being right or wrong is very important.
0: Hmm. I love that breakdown that you just said. So the the million dollar question out of everything you just said is, do you guys place actual bets on your bet (laughs) score?
1: I love that question. We don't. I, When I was uh, head of product and growth at Meetup and I was really trying to get people to get excited about experiments, I created uh, a contest where every single time we launched an experiment, we called it uh, bet on red. Uh, Meetup's colors were red and so therefore it was bet on red. And uh, everyone had the opportunity to bet on uh, whether something would win or lose or which variant would win if it was a multivariate test. And you basically sort of got points over the course of a month and the winner would get some sort of a prize every month. I don't know it was, Apple, Apple gift card or whatever the case may be, uh, to the iTunes store or whatever, whatever it was. It was really, really cool. Uh, but yeah, we did have bets in that way. And, uh, and it is actually really fun to do it that way.
0: Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Continuing on the conversation with what you were saying about, um, using tools to do experiments, is our tools always needed? We talk about, you know, something as simple as ad copy, like on Google Ads, but we're also talking about things like website pages, such mm-hmm. as A-B testing, a pricing page, or even some event conversion pages. Do okay. do people always need tools to do the type of tests? Like at one at what point should a company be investing in? um experimenting tech stack in order to run the test versus saying hey sometimes we should be scrappy what are some ways that we can go about achieving this either free or of a lower
1: cost yeah it's a great question it's always going to be tied to the channel in which you're trying to learn and by and large my usual answer to things is whatever gives you the answer fastest is probably what the right answer is Um, Mm -hmm. and certain things you can only do with technology you, you need an a b testing tool to run an a b test on your website thankfully those are easier mm-hmm. to use than ever. like they've, they've never been easier to use they've never been like simpler they're awesome there's so many good products on the market right now that help you do that easier still though is if you're testing copy well running as long as you're reaching the right segment <laughs> you know the the right segment you can probably just leverage the technology that's being offered to you by Google or by Facebook or Meta or uh, various other technologies that allow you to run multiple variants on any given test. They're essentially the tool for you. They're, they're giving you all the technology you need to run an A-B test, A-B-C-D-E, you know, multivariate test on your copy, leveraging their technology and leveraging their traffic. And they usually have a lot more traffic than you do. So as long as you're reaching the right folks in the right way, and you're drawing the right lesson at the right port in the funnel, this is all approximation. I should really be clear. You're you're honing in on it. You're you're trying to approximate the truth. But it's certainly a lot cheaper, and it's certainly a lot faster to leverage their copy insights or leverage their technology to get insights on what copy works than it is to um, try and do that on your own website as an example. The other really crazy thing though is that sometimes you don't even need technology at all. You know, you can do it in a really super manual way. You can um <laughs> you can be a salesperson and you can make 50 phone calls in a day or a hundred phone calls in a day, and 50 of them, you can lead with this certain statement, and you can lead with this other statement for the other 50. Yeah. And you can just track who was in which set. And at the end of the day, you can sort of say, like, with 50 might not be enough, but like over time, you can sort of start to see, well, now that I've made enough of these phone calls, does one of these approaches that I take work better than the other? And as long as you're sort of ran, doing it in a random fashion, you're actually learning. And, and I've actually run experiments like this before with a community sport team, like just on community, where at Meetup, we, we uh, had a hypothesis that we had heard that Flickr, the founders of Flickr welcomed every single new member to Flickr. That's like, so the first 100,000 people. They literally welcome. It's so, like somebody there just hit a button every single time saying, hi, welcome to Flickr. We're happy you're here. Um, and so we thought that was really cool. And we thought that could have a really meaningful impact on retention rates for new organizers. And so we created a program where every new organizer that signed up for Meetup would sign up for would be greeted by somebody on our community team. It's like, hey, just saw that you created a new Meetup group. We're really happy you're here. What we also did, though, is um, 20% of the time, though, for 20% of the organizers, nobody greeted them. So we had a holdout set of 20. And we reached out to them, and we looked to see, well, does reaching out over the course of a month, so every single day, day in, day out, we reached out to 80% of them, does that make a difference? And the really, really fascinating thing was that over a few iterations, we were able to figure out, yes, it does make a difference if you do it in this specific way. And we only were able to learn that because we held out this 20% sample set. The only technology that was there was a spreadsheet that basically assigned people (laughs) 80% of the time to be reached out to, 20% of the time not to. So you can do things in a really low-fi, low-tech way and still get the learning if you're systematic and rigorous with it and you're willing to really kind of slog through in order to approximate the truth.
0: Those really valuable insights. And that's really interesting that you also did the 20% non greeted versus the 80% greeted. I think that was a really neat approach to understanding the fundamental, like how welcomeness can help with the engagement of, of all of that. So that was really great. Um, moving on to the next question, because I know I have three more that I really want to get to for today, right. and we're crunching on a little bit of time. What are some like best practices, if you could name a few for marketers to have, to take away for today's conversation on the best way to effectively experiment. If somebody were to ask you that, what are one, three, five things that you would say are the best way to effectively experiment?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. The, the, the variables here that you might want to look at that would be important to look at are. When to test and when not to test. And we we talked about that a little bit. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then the how to test. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And then the how to draw the right lessons from the test. When it comes to how to test, probably one of the most important lessons to learn in general is that we call them experiments, (laughs) And that makes us think back to like being scientists and I'm a behavioral scientist and there's a tendency amongst folks who are behavioral scientists and who come from a scientific background to really want to make the error rate go to zero. And I want to test everything and to test to to learn from every single element. So instead of changing two elements at once, I only want to change one element at a time. And so I want to change, uh, I'm going to focus on the color of the button and then I'm going to focus on the shape of the button and then I'm going to focus on the size of the button and then I'm going to focus on the words on it and then I'm going to see if it's a rounded corners or is that square corners? And there's almost an infinite number of variables or approaches I could take. And the <laughs> obsessive folks like me are going to want to learn every single detail they possibly can. <laughs> the cost of doing that is that you just spent five months testing five things on the button. Is it really worth that much time? And so it's really a question of sort of choice or or figuring out the aperture of what you're gonna test and how. And the advice that we give people and the role we're trying to play is to sort of be able to provide a base level of understanding of like certain elements, like buttons, like copy, like visuals, um, to help people start to think about the larger patterns. And to think about those individual elements as building blocks Hmm. and by thinking about the problem you're solving at the right level of aperture, because if you zoom all the way out and you're just like, I'm only doing redesign versus redesign, almost every single person that I've talked to that's been involved in the redesign has just battle scars and is so frustrated by having done it, mostly because um, it's so much work. And often full-scale redesigns hurt performance. They make your performance go down over time. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because you are going with an optimized page, a very highly optimized experience, and you're suddenly replacing it with a page that's got nothing but assumptions backing it up. And some of those assumptions are right, and some of those are wrong. And then you have negative forces and you have positive forces that kind of counterbalance each other. Interesting. And, and unfortunately, when you kind of do a full-scale redesign, more often than not, you're just bringing a lot of error in. And so the right level of aperture is sort of like using the building blocks. They're so not too, too small, not every pixel, because it'll take you forever and not full scale redesigns. There's time for full scale redesigns, but just know that if you're doing nothing but full scale redesigns, you're just making a lot of assumptions, unless those are backed by really, really great fundamental insights that could be qualitative, that could be from usability studies, could be from like engaging with your users, could be from looking at your backend or from looking at the building blocks of what experiments have worked for other people. And leveraging their choices of buttons, leveraging their layout, leveraging the the number of plans they're showing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, because they are more likely to generate more impact uh, when you have a slight, when you have sort of the right level of aperture, not too narrow, not too big. Hold I
0: down. love that. Yeah, I love that you said the the word building blocks specifically. Because mm. as you were saying that I wrote down in my notes, I was like progressive. So we should be testing progressively. We shouldn't mm. be just stuck on changing all the like a CTA button, multiple different colors and see which colors out of like a scale of a rainbow work best. Like at some point, like we need to like then add the progressive fields to testing to get the end goal of how do we optimize the page and uh, optimizing the page is more than just a button <laughs> or just exactly. a button
1: color. Exactly. And buttons do make a difference. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot that can Agreed. go into. There's <laughs> a lot of our copy that can make a difference. Um, the problem is that if you get 12 shots a year on that up yeah. form, what do you, what are you betting those chips on? And so yeah. I think you just want to think of it as a portfolio, which is maybe also where you're going with progressive to think of it as a portfolio and you want to use some of your chips on that really essential element in the portfolio. And you want to use other chips or other bets on these other more fundamental pieces of the portfolio too.
0: Portfolio. That's a really fun word to use. I'm going to start using that more in my, <laughs> <laughs> in my communications. Um, second to last question that we have for today. Um, what, we just talked about some of the best practices to effectively experiment what are like one or two things that you definitely should not do when it comes to experimenting
1: yeah so there's a few there's the um not experimenting and uh, on things that are important and matter because you think you're going to move faster uh, more often than not i should make an exception here if you're a company that's a startup you don't have enough traffic to run any experiments uh, really, uh, and so you're not going to systematically get you're not going to get a lot of learning by systematically varying your homepage. If you have 100 visitors, <laughs> it's going to take you a long, long time. Uh, and there, you're just going to need to really go with some, some gut feels and some some big big bets. As you get more traffic, it becomes more and more important to run experiments and you are able to get the data. What you'll often see people in larger organizations argue is, oh well, let's not run the test. Let's just launch it and then see if there's a result or not. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes what that does is it does give you the satisfaction of launching faster. And you can tell your board, hey, look at all these things we launched this month. <laughs> right. Yeah. But uh, what then happens is that there are people after the launch, the next, the very next day, the question, okay, wait, how do you do? And you're like, well, I don't know. Uh, and you're like, Well, how do you not know? And you're like, well, we launched it the weekend before Easter, and now it's Easter. And so that might have affected people's desire to go out or whatever the case may be but we can't read it because there was also a snowstorm in the Midwest or whatever the case may be. Um, and so um, the getting the data, by the time you actually get reads on what happened because you didn't run it as a experiment, because you thought you were gonna get learning faster, more often than not kind of backfires. Um, and you often end up not learning anything at all and you end up sort of chasing your tail. And you're not actually sure if you made a difference or you didn't make a difference. So um, not testing because you think you're running, because you feel like it'll move you faster in my experience often correlates well with uh just not learning at all so in, in the long haul you end up moving slower interesting uh, so that's one one failure the other failure like like i said is is testing too much is the when everyone when you walk down the hallway and you hear everyone saying oh let's test it oh let's test it oh let's test it uh it means that you are uh, that people aren't able to resolve debates and is if it's the ultimate way to resolve a debate. I was talking to somebody the other day who was saying that one department just really wanted to have like a call out to their part of the you know something that's really important to them on the header. And uh, like we need our careers page to be prominently featured on the header. And so they're like okay fine they put the debate to bed by running it in the header. And sure enough um, it didn't matter, but it put the debate to bed. Well, organization that's good. Everyone preserved their relationships, but they just burnt a month on that experiment that they could have used for something else. And so when you're sort of cashing in your chips for things to resolve debates that could have been resolved elsewhere in another way, it's probably like not the best use of your chip. Hmm.
0: This last question that I have for you is more just based on my own curiosity, but can you give me an example of when experimenting went wrong?
1: when experimenting went
0: did it ever cost anybody hundreds of thousands of dollars and they didn't identify what success looked like from the beginning so they spent a bunch of dollars and just went to waste did a turnover happen and like it just kind of floated along <laughs> and nothing <laughs> ever never circled back or i don't i don't know and it's okay we can skip this no, i was just a, curious
1: there's two stories that come <laughs> to mind um for me the experiments that have gone wrong are the ones where you, they just shouldn't have been run in the first place uh it was just a waste of time like the stories i was telling earlier hmm. right there's a great story i was talking to somebody the other day who used to be a product manager at zenga and he was saying that you know they, they, they ran tons and tons of experiments so they're the people behind Farmville and Whatever, build mafia game and, and like all of all the variants of, of the bills, right? Uh, and they give new product leaders a ton of autonomy. And he was saying that he went in, he went, uh, like launched an experiment on a Friday and then, you know, checked in on it on a Sunday morning and saw, oh my goodness, I just cost the company, <laughs> I don't even know what the number was. I think he was like $3 million over the weekend. And, wow. uh, and he's like, I guess I should update my resume. I'm getting fired tomorrow. You know? <laughs> and he Shouldn't be in. laughing at that, but... No, no, no. And he went into in work the next morning, but their culture was was a little bit more, no, if you're not making those kinds of bets, it's, you're not swinging hard enough. You're not making big enough swings. And ultimately, like a $3 million loss was sort of a rounding error for them in the grand scheme of all of the experiments. Ooh. So he was willing... I don't know if it was one million or three million or however many hundreds of thousands as 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 dinner a few weeks ago. but but either way, the point being that like even like massive like losses depending on the culture and what you're trying to achieve in the right context is not that big a loss. And you know, from there are people on Wall Street sort of to carry the analogy, who are making billions of dollars of bets on a daily basis mm-hmm. that would just like make my stomach like churn. That's just what they do. They they go in and they make these bets relative to the trillions of dollars that they're managing or the or whatever the numbers are that are kind of wild. Um, it's sort of the same thing relative to um to what we're talking about. And to go full full circle here, it kind of comes down to well, what's the risk of this going horribly wrong? And in some regards, that's actually why you run the test, is because you run it when the risk of it going really poorly is is really consequential. That's why we have drug trials. It's really costly when you give people drugs that kill them, <laughs> right? That's a very bad outcome. Um, when the outcome is inconsequential, then that's probably not worth experimenting with, right? Mm-hmm. When it's not high high risk, and so it might actually be the case, and it's actually a pretty good lesson to learn that that it's on, it's. When there's a lot at stake, and ideally, you want to guard your downside. so he might have been better off launching that test on a Thursday and pulling it down on a Friday instead of launching it on a Friday, but he probably learned that lesson. Um so you know if you can guard your downside, that's exactly when you want to run the experiment when the consequences are really bad or really great. The stuff in the middle is is probably less you have a lot more leeway.
0: Mm-hmm. The two things that stood out to me were culture is definitely going to play a big impact into that success or not success with those okay. experiments. And then also the risk factor for that. I think that was a really great call up that you mentioned, even like the clinical trials and taking a drug to market, like the impact mm-hmm. and it has on actual humans. Like it's a pretty big risk if we don't do our, our due diligence up front and make sure that what we're taking is actually credible and can actually do good and not bad. So That's those are right. those are two key takeaways that I have that in, in my notebook for today. The closing question that I have in Andres, I've really appreciated this conversation. I've learned so much for you. Mm -hmm. Um, Where can people learn more about you? Where can they find you?
1: So they can find me at, uh, I'm most active on LinkedIn. I have a lot of fun there. So uh, Bluesman, Don't we all? Yeah, at LinkedIn. Um, I think it's just got such a positive vibe. I love it. I love it. Um, And uh, my website, uh, if you want to find me online, the the website is dowhatworks.io.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much again for your time today for chatting with me. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Oh, and we have um something that we're about to launch too that um if people from that I think might be really relevant to people who are listening to this. So if they want like early, early access to it, I'll actually put my email out. But it's Andres at dowhatworks.io. And we're launching a brand new product that lets you that uses AI plus our data to help copy, to help performance marketers, demand gen folks. Uh, effortlessly optimize their messaging on their ads that are run on uh, search engines. So if you want to get early access to it, you can feel free to drop me a note and, and I'll hook you up.
0: Amazing. Yes, everybody go. Gain access. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your knowledge. It's was super insightful.
1: Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to the Demand Gen Made Simple podcast. If you found this episode valuable, please do not forget to subscribe. Thanks, and see you next time.